You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 244, Jonathan Puddle and the Nearness of God. Ooh, so close. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I'm super glad that you are here. Uh, This is, I I love just kind of walking with others and walking with you through the journey. And if you found this one, uh, that's amazing. I'm glad that you have. Um, If you haven't yet uh, and you want to keep up on everything Halfway There, go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can get show notes. So if we talk about books, I know we'll talk about at least one book today. Uh, You can find a link to that. If you, uh, you know, there's great quotes. There's all kinds of things in the show notes that you can do. And of course, uh, there's always that Patreon button. If you want to help support the show, keep it running. We would appreciate that as well. Today, we've got a great conversation. Our guest, he's the author of the book, You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. Really fascinated to talk about that. He's also a pastor and a podcast host himself. Our guest is Jonathan Puddle. Jonathan, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks, man. So excited to get to chat with you and learn more about you as well. Yeah, it'll be great. We've I've seen you on Twitter. I think that's where I found you first, but I think we're friends on Facebook too now. And, uh, but that's what I love about, about the internet is just running into new, new people. It's a good thing. That's it. That's it. And thank you for the work that you do with the podcast association, man. I've only been a part of it for, I don't know, a couple of months, but already I've met a ton of great people and, and have felt like I've been able to get a, like a sanity check on a lot of things that I felt pretty isolated in. Yes. And, and as a highly relational Enneagram two type person, that has been very, very uh, helpful and, and appreciated. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. So friends, if you're not, so this, this is kind of a spiritual show. I don't talk about CPA here all the time, but Christian podcasters association is, our is is my group for Christian podcasters. I started it because uh, it podcasting is lonely. Like people don't know that, right? <laughs> like That's it's it. it's so hard. And so you even said that. Like I'm sometimes you know it felt isolated. That can be totally the case. And so uh, CPA is a Facebook group, but we also have a membership and things. So you guys can go to ChristianPodcastersAssociation.com if you want to find out all about that. Well, I'm glad it's helpful. So thanks thanks for uh, saying that, Jonathan. That's super yeah, super good. Pleasure. Thank you. I literally started it so we could find each other and not be alone. Right. So it's working. Apparently <laughs> so good. that's a good thing. Okay. Well, um, I want to hear more about you. Obviously I gave the sort of broad, you know, sort of little snippets of who you are, your pastor, your writer. Uh, you were telling me you love like text that kind of speaks to you in a way and you're a podcast host. Give us that kind of, uh, kind of an overview of who you are and where God has you right at the moment. Yeah. Happy to. I, uh, I guess three, just over three years ago, I quit my day job and uh, at a Christian charity, and and my wife and I said, "Can we try this writing profession thing? Can we give it a shot?" We've been dreaming for a while for me to be a, a writer and a podcast host and blogger, you know, all the things that that kind of entails in 2021 and beyond. Yeah. And and yeah, here, here we are. Three years later, I got my first book out. Uh, my podcast is is going well and, and all these things. So it's an awkward answer to, to your question because I'm still in many ways figuring out 
what I'm doing and who I am right here and right yeah. now. Uh, easier to say from, from my own psychological thing. I have been married for 15 years. I have three amazing kids. They're 12, 10, and eight years old. Um, I've lived all around the world, multiple countries, born in New Zealand, and now I live in Canada. I'm in a beautiful little city called Guelph, which is about an hour outside of Toronto, and actually has a really interesting literary history, lots of poets and oh. uh, interesting thinkers have, have grown up here in Guelph. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a pastor as well. I'm a children's pastor and, uh, and a discipleship pastor. So I serve a little church of about 60, 80 adults nearby. And it's just a wonderful little community feel. Three other couples uh, help lead it with my wife and I. And it's, you know, we're kind of on the team and there's a senior leader couple. And it's just a fun, fun space to journey with people and learn to love and practice taking on the life of Christ. Uh, I've been through a big deconstruction journey. I left the church for 10 years. The fact that I'm a pastor today is as much a surprise to me as it is to anybody else. <laughs> That's interesting. Can't wait to hear about that. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's lots of stuff thrown in the mix there. I spent 13 years in the charitable sector. I've been a director of marketing and publicity. I've been a technology director for years. Uh, I started a publishing company, and today I also help self-published authors uh, with some consulting. So, Oh, nice. Okay. I got a, got my finger in a lot of different things. But, I like that. Uh, well, one thing I want to highlight real quickly, because I also took the leap to become an entrepreneur uh, in the last few years. And uh, what nobody tells you is that the first couple of years, you won't have any idea what you're doing, right? Like, like you have to figure, true. you have to learn a lot and you might not make any money probably. And it's because you don't know what you're doing or who you're serving or how you're serving them or what you're actually doing when that's it. What when is you're your doing product? <laughs> yes. And what are you actually offering? Like, so even if you're writing a book, you're not offering a book, you're offering some sort of transformation that people want. And so that takes a while to learn. And so I hear you, man, like that's, I'm, I'm coming up on three years being an entrepreneur and I feel like I'm just getting my feet underneath me to, to figure it out. So have you read the lean startup? by Eric Rice. I have not. I should probably grab that one. That is an excellent book. Eric is mostly in the tech space, but what he is what he teases out in the lean startup really is that you cannot really tell what your product is until the market decides. Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff in there that I mean, I think I think one day I want to write like a Christian paraphrase of that book because <laughs> there's stuff to do with our spiritual life that is so applicable in that space that sometimes I think it's like, we don't actually know the gifts that we have to give until people stop being transformed by them. Yeah, that's right. And so it's like, when you start to observe what the spirit is doing through, you know, what the spirit is doing in others through you, it's like, then you can start to figure out what it is you're actually here to do. <laughs> And, and so even this book that I have out now is not the first book that I wrote. It's not even the second book that I've written. <laughs> but at some point, you know, a couple of years in, it began to click for me. This, These are the words that are resonating with people, not the words that I thought were very good and important and <laughs> revelatory. <laughs> yes. uh, but this is what's actually producing fruit in others. And so, so then you got to pivot and, and that's what the lean startup is all about is about oh, interesting. Uh, 
it's kind of like the bringing a minimal uh, minimal viable product mm -hmm. to the market so you can test it and then pivot to whatever works. And I think that's our spiritual life too. <laughs> oh, so right. Okay. So I was looking at my phone to see if I had gotten that because I know I've heard of it. I don't. So I'll have to, I'll have to pick that up. Um, but totally, I think that's right. That's how our, our spiritual life is kind of like that as well. Right. We find finding our gifts. So I love to talk about that. Uh, we could geek out about entrepreneurship all, all, all the way. And, and maybe sometime we'll get a chance to do that, but let's go into your spiritual journey. So I want to, I want to hear more about that and just get to know you. So tell me about, uh, you said you grew up at your, you were born in New Zealand. Did you grow up there too? Like, what was that? What was that like for you? So I was a YWAM kid. If any of your listeners know uh, the Christian Missions Agency Youth with a Mission, YWAM, my parents were missionaries. They met through YWAM doing kind of, school, you know, uh, discipleship schools themselves when they were like 18, 19, 20 years old. They met and married. And so they were actually drama performance artist instructors with YWAM when my brother and I were my first next brother down and I were born. So I was born in New Zealand and I did kind of grow up in New Zealand, but I, I mean, I grew up all over the South Pacific. I lived in France and Switzerland. We were kind of all over the place oh, wow. and up until I was about seven or eight years old. And then we settled back in New Zealand for a time. So I had this, uh, let's say broadly evangelical kind of faith upbringing that was very much about doing evangelical work, going out and you know, preaching the gospel. And, and I think one of the saving graces of that for my particular life was that my parents did that through the dramatic arts, through performance, through dance. Right. And so where for some people, their evangelical upbringing was this very kind of cerebral head knowledge, believe all the right things. Right. Uh, and, and then there was certainly aspects of that for me. Because my parents were uh, basically like embodiment communicators, there was something really earthy and grounded about the kind of faith that they actually raised me and my brothers in. And I think only really now in the last year or two have I begun to realize how important that was. Yeah. And I, ne I never had to get over any real hurdles around the goodness of our bodies and of movement and of, of even performance art and things like that. You know, my parents always had music of all kinds playing in the house and film and television. And all, I mean, to this day, when I get together with my father or my mother, you know, they they live in different parts of the world. Uh, we're going to watch movies together. We're going to watch TV. We're going to, we're going to talk about the latest films and, and the Academy Awards. And, and so I think there was a lot of that creative art that was actually really key in my upbringing and then came to inform my faith in ways that I'm still unpacking now. Yeah. That's very interesting. So I love what you said about the sort of body thing, because I certainly wrestle with that as well. Like there's parts of evangelicalism, at least in the United States, that has no place for the body at all, right? It's almost right. Gnostic. And it makes Absolutely. me crazy because I'm like, that's not the gospel. That's not what God's about. The irony, Eric, is that the same people who tend to profess this kind of non-corporeal, it's all about the spiritual life, uh, and, and maybe one day we're going to be with Jesus in puffy white clouds forever. They're the same people who will insist that in hell, you have a real body forever. <laughs> right. And so, so even that, the, the kind of eschatological lens that the body is only good to be tormented. Right. Uh, I, think, I think the incarnation 
ultimately blows that up. Right. Right. If, if God can come and be enfleshed in, hum, in a human form, that says something about the value and worth of humans that we are going to have to reckon with if we haven't. Well, that's a way more theological way of putting it. I was going to say a uh, a good pork shoulder and a pulled pork sandwich is a, is another way to know that it's just really, really good, right, man? Like that's praise God. <laughs> that's all right. So God gave us those things for a reason. Um, well, I love that. Okay, so that's a really fascinating kind of aspect of of your of your faith, kind of growing up. Very, very. I'm kind of pondering that a little bit because it's it's unique. Okay, so the other thing I was noticing is I was trying to place your accent because you don't really you sort of like it's it's in there, but it's not it's not full on New Zealand. So I'm like, oh, okay, that don't the- exactly sound like Flight of the Concords. Exactly right. <laughs> Those guys are hilarious friends. If you haven't watched Flight of the Concords, you totally should. Um, but yes, that is uh, so interesting. Okay. So it's good because you came from kind of, you were all over the place. So that's, that's. And then, yeah. And so the next major, the ma- next major kind of formative thing in my spiritual life is, is when I was 13, we moved to Toronto to join the Toronto blessing to, to oh, join the, interesting. the revival. And so uh, my parents had been beginning to, to get into charismatic things and, you know, had, had, had a belief that surely these things we see in scripture are for us today and miracles and signs and wonders should be part of the Christian life. And so they had heard about weird things happening at this church in Toronto. And my dad went for a visit and had a really, uh, what's the best way to say it? He was just touched. He had a really intimate encounter with God and, and he went back, came back to New Zealand and said, look, I, I think we need to go. And so I'm 13. My, my brothers are, are younger kids and, and we moved to Toronto and I remember walking into this church. I had never seen a mega church. New Zealand didn't have big churches at the time. And, and you know, there's there's people doing weird stuff. And yeah. To this day, I I, I wouldn't I can't I don't think I would say 100% of it is God, but I definitely wouldn't say 100% of it is false either. In any case, I remember walking in and being like, "This is bizarre. I've never seen anything like this. I've never heard anything like this." But I also love science fiction and fantasy novels. And so why not? Like, like, why not? And so I spent my teenage years uh, in this very charismatic, very spiritual kind of environment, where, you know, we were taught that it was normal to hear God's voice uh, through scripture, but also, you know, mystically in your mind, in your imagination. Yeah, uh, It was normal to pray for the sick and see them be healed. It was normal to speak in tongues. And so that was a huge then formative period for my time um, of my life. And, and much of that I have, um, I mean, all of it I've had to wrestle with and journey with and decide what to keep uh, because it was, it was not long after that. I mean, 13 years old, when we moved to Canada. It was about, I was about 18 when I began to kind of deconstruct and go, hold on. I need to make some decisions for myself about all the stuff I've been raised with. Okay. Well, that's was the next thing I was going to ask because so as a kid, did you have like a personal experience or did you, and I'd love to have you describe in Toronto because we've, I've had some people uh, who've been to, who were there for different things, but like what, what did you see and what was kind of the, kind of the experience? And then did you have any experiences of your own? So that's like three questions all in one. 
Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I, I actually remember saying, I remember my mother leading me through the sinner's prayer when I was four years old. And it is one of my earlier memories. You know, I have, wow. I can place a few things in and around that age. Um, but yeah, that's one of my earliest formative memories. And so I grew up in church. I, I, I don't remember a ton of what I would call really overt experiences in, in my early years, sure. but, but I certainly desired to know God and desired to know more about God and journey and, and have a relationship with Jesus. When I was 12 years old, I had the first, what I would really call like a, a, a real supernatural kind of Holy Spirit touching me encounter. Uh, it was before we moved to Toronto and it was actually at a delirious concert oh, in yeah. New Zealand in a, in a field full of, uh, you know, I don't know, 15,000 screaming teenagers. And this was King of Fools era. So yeah, it was good stuff. Re- really raw good stuff oh man i miss those guys yeah i mean martin smith is is still on the level nice i mean yeah such a great guy i've I've met them multiple times over the years and and i remember martin smith just talking to the crowd at one point and just saying hey there history makers Mm. and my 12 year old self just began to weep and there was something in me that was just like, God, I want to make history. I want to change the world. I want people to know how good you are. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that, uh, being moved to emotion by, you know, something. And obviously, there's also music and the energy and the lights. That's all part of it. I, that's all part of it. Um, so then I moved to Toronto and 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 thrown into this very uh, intensely expressive kind of environment. So, you know, we're talking people being slain in the spirit and manifesting, shaking, holy laughter, all these kinds of things that may or may not be uh, part of the Christian experience, depending on what, what your right. tradition tells you, depending on how you read uh, the book of Acts and, and all these things. And I, and I guess, I mean, there's a lot of different stories I could share. I mean, I yeah. experienced a ton of different things. Well, while you're, while you're picking, picking one, just pick, pick one to share. That seems, that seems like it was kind of formative for you. I always try to remind people because it is, it does feel weird, at least for my tradition, right? We, we, we pretended like the Holy Spirit didn't exist. Oh, we believed in him, but probably not going to do anything. Right. And, um, I always remind people that Jonathan Edwards experienced some of these very same things. And like, you can't get more reformed or like cerebral than Jonathan Edwards. And yet his conclusion on those things was, look, I'm not messing with the Holy spirit. I'm going to, it it may or may not be from the Holy spirit, but I'm not messing with it. Let it go. And I'm going to just keep preaching. And so, uh, you know, who knows? I I don't know enough about all that stuff to make a, a judgment. But I, when I see that kind of stuff or hear about it, I go, Okay, God, that what you do weird things sometimes. I'm just gonna I'm gonna observe. And yeah, and I, that's a great that's a great observation. I totally agree. I remember when I was reading Edward's biography and seeing some of the stuff in his journals. I'm like, 
whoa, he experienced yep. the same things that I'm experiencing here. So, I mean, if we just take a real quick biblical view, uh, God speaks through donkeys. God <laughs> speaks through. Some of them are uh, pastors. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Some of them I'm are sorry. So sorry. I went there. We, we yeah. have snakes turning into staves. We have staves budding with almonds. Like the Bible and the way God manifests is weird. And if it doesn't seem weird to you, then you need to let your imagination run wild with some of these stories because they are profoundly strange. Right. So I, I end up in a in not in a similar place to you. Look, if if the spirit of divine love is going to come and touch my body, probably that's my body's going to react some way. If if the you know if the presence of God is is thick enough that that people are being healed of diseases, then who's what's to say that my emotions aren't going to be involved, that my bodily reflexes aren't going to be invited to express? I don't think God takes control of us and takes away our. That's not been my experience, and I have also on the on the falling down thing. I've witnessed people be pushed down, and I. <laughs> Right. I, I reject that nonsense. If if God is going to touch people, let God touch people, and you don't have to have it fi- have it figured out. I have experienced uh, being prayed for, and just the most delightful feeling of peace coming over me, just the most deeply abiding, safe level of peace, peace like we might imagine the psalmist writing right? Like mm-hmm. he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And, and at sometimes I've experienced that. And I felt like I would just like to lie down and, in, and bask in this. And, and, and at that moment, I felt someone tap me on the back to indicate that there was a person standing behind me to catch me if I needed that. And I kind of let myself go down. Mm-hmm. It, to me, that's a real spiritual encounter. Whether or not I lost consciousness or not, I willingly surrendered to love because love seemed to suddenly come all over me in an intensity that isn't the way I normally live. I, I do think, actually, that the Holy Spirit is all around us, that God is with us, that nothing can separate us from that. But for whatever reason, it seems to me that sometimes God increases his intensity, like, you know, the the saturation of oxygen in the air, right, can can be higher or, or lower. And so that's kind of that's kind of where I end up with it. I'm like, yeah, I think probably some of the things that happen there are, are just people doing their thing. And I think in other cases, it's totally somebody encountering divine love in a way that maybe for them they've never felt before, right? Like if you've grown up in an unsafe home or you've experienced yeah. horrific things, and the God who is love comes in just a special intimate way why would you not weep or laugh or or even shake right i mean i shake from anxiety sometimes <laughs> right like lord i'll happily shake from your presence so you know i don't make a big deal out of it that's how it kind of makes sense to me and uh i one one thing that i will that i'll share then a more specific story because this is this kind of moves it outside the realm of a busy church environment. I had I had this experience. Uh, my wife and I had had deconstructed. We'd left. We'd moved out. We'd moved away from Toronto 
I was still working on staff for the church in Toronto, ironically, but we were now living in Finland because my wife had wanted to, to do a master's degree there. And we'd spent a bunch of years kind of unpacking our faith and wrestling through things. Because for me, for me, it was like uh, the busyness of church you know, the, the programs and being in a, being a leader of this group and being in another group yourself. And our church got into the G12 multiplication model that some people will know and all these church growth things. And I, it just tired me out. And I was like, this is actually not producing good fruit in my life anymore. Like this is like toxic burnout. Yeah. And so I, I had to basically say, okay, God, if any of this is real, if you're real, and if you actually desire for us to fellowship with one another, I've got to figure out a fresh way to do so. And so we started reading books on kind of house churchy stuff. We're reading Frank Viola, Pagan Christianity and things like that. And that, that was really like, oh, I'm not crazy to be asking these questions. <laughs> right. And so we kind of, we left the institutional church for about 10 years. And out there, kind of in the quote unquote wilderness, we, we just found that we did still believe in God, that we did still want relationship with the divine and that we wanted to share that with other people who believed the same way. And, and to be honest, Eric, I had kind of like a, I kind of fell in love with Jesus all over again, at wow. something like 24, 25 years old. And it just became real to me in a whole new way. I, I, I couldn't read the Bible for years because it was just, just this misogynistic, weird, violent thing. But all of a sudden it became a witness to the living Christ. And it became new for me and fresh for me. And, and I, I, we went to visit these friends one time. And the husband and I are in the kitchen, and we're making pizza. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. I don't know what we were thinking. And you were hungry. And we do, yeah, well, that's it. And the, <laughs> the, our wives were in another room with the kids. Our kids were all young at this stage, like three, four years old. And we just began to talk about something. And all of a sudden, it felt like there was a burning bush in the kitchen there with us. And we both were overcome by a very profound sense of God's nearness. And, I, and I, we're not doing anything overtly spiritual in, in, the, in the dualistic sense that we've all been raised with, right? right. We're, I mean, I, I do believe making pizza is a spiritual act. I Amen. believe hanging out with your friends is a spiritual act. But in the framework that I had at the time, it was very strange. And he and I both ended up kind of splayed out on the floor. Not, not because like God knocked us over the head, but it just seemed like the most appropriate place to be. Yeah. And then our wives kind of came up the hallway and they were like, what are you guys doing? And by the time they'd made their way into the kitchen, they could sense it too. And, and we were all just kind of on our knees and butts on the floor. And there was just a really beautiful, profound sense of the nearness of God. And it was just like, God, I don't want to do or say anything because you're here and you're bigger than my language and my mind and my, my feeble attempts at worshiping you. I just, I just want to sit here in your presence. You know, and then after half an hour or something, it just suddenly didn't feel the same way anymore. And we kind of got up and went about our evening. You know, the next night, there was all this pressure to be like, oh, you know, <laughs> can we make it happen again? You know, nothing happened. Like, it wasn't like, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't quantify that experience for you. But uh, 
but I have, it is, what is done, what it's done for me is it's given me a faith in God's willingness and God's ability to come and disrupt our lives. Because I think one of those other byproducts of the evangelical thing that, that was less good was, um, that it's all about us, right? It's, it's on us. Like, yes, it's all about Jesus, but we have to have the right beliefs. We have to use the right kind of preaching voice. We have all these techniques and tools. And the end result is actually for, for many, and I mean, I know you've gone through these deconstruction things and, and having these conversations yourself. For so many of us, the fruit of that was anxiety and pressure. Right. Wow. And so, so I've come to this place where I'm just like, look, I think God is good. And I think God is leading us all somewhere. And I am willing to trust that he knows what he's doing or yeah. she or whatever. <laughs> I I love that. I, uh, so, you know, you say God is good. I'm looking at, uh, I don't know if you had um, Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger who wrote the, a church called Toe. Have you read that yet? No, I, I, I love Scott McKnight, but from a distance, I've well, never had him on the show. Oh, you should totally have him. I can introduce you if you want, but um, he, what what I love about it, I mean, that's a little bit about they're they're kind of going after um, what happened at Willow Creek and and Bill Hybels and all that, which is difficult. But their charge to the church is God is good. Tov, right? Tov is the Hebrew word for good. Be good, you know, like and that I think is an underrated fruit of the spirit. You know, <laughs> like God, God, we say God is good. I would also say human is good, right? There's a there's a yes. way that we've what God has given us. As to be a human being is a good and beautiful thing. So I Amen. love, I love what you've said. Um, I want to go, can we go into the bit of the deconstruction? Cause I want to hear, I want to, I want you to elaborate on that a little bit. Um, and then, you know, and it sounds like God obviously led you out of that, but what, what was it that, what was that experience like and what, what happened? It, uh, began around the time I got married, which was really tricky for my wife because, you know, we, we were, we were evangelical youth group kids. And so, uh, I'd been promised a righteous Fox and she'd been promised a godly man who'd be on his knees praying for her every day. And turns out I wasn't that man. And I didn't know that expectation was here for me. Who was, uh, that's the problem, but okay. Go seriously. Ahead. What a mess. <laughs> and I, I remember just even a few months into our marriage, I'm just like, I just don't know if I can go to church anymore. Like, I just, I am losing track of God in church. I, I, it's like God in church with this Venn diagram and, and someone has begun to move these wheels apart and, and I can no longer find fellowship with my believers, with my fellow believers at church. And I can no longer sense God at church and I can no longer see God in scripture. And it was very scary and destabilizing. And I, was was this why you were working there? This is why I'm still working there. Yeah. And and I wasn't serving in a again an overtly ministerial role. I I was like an administrator, but uh it was odd. And so we kind of church we just kind of shifted around a little bit thinking maybe we just need to find a a, a better fit for us and we we're newly married and so we're trying to interface our our marriage relationship into our social circles. And we were kind of like one of the first couples in our group to get married. And so that was a, you know, it's all part of it. Right. Yeah. But it just, nothing was working. Uh, spiritually. I, I just was like, I, I just can't be a part of this machine. 
this feels like a machine. That was the language I was using. I'm like, this just feels like a machine and human beings don't belong in machines. We are mm-hmm. like, I feel like I'm getting chewed up and spat out. And between my day job, I'm, I'm, get, I'm in this building six or seven days a week and I, I'm done. And my wife is despairing and it, you know, and it's like, she's an Enneagram eight. And so she's kind of like, I need to know, I need to know how everything works and, and everything should be in like, Oh, wow, understandable yeah. in, in its box. And now my husband isn't even a Christian and I've allowed him into my heart and what is going on. <laughs> I, I never renounced the faith. That's never occurred to me. I just, I just couldn't make it all work in the package I've been given. And so after we'd been married two years, we moved to Finland. My wife has Finnish heritage. And so she had access to the university system there. And so that that's why we went there of, of all places and so moving out of the language, English language church world provided this excuse for us to stop going to church. And I, and I telecommuted. I worked remotely for, for the church in a, in a technology capacity. So this is this weird irony that I'm still working for a large wow. influential Christian ministry while not attending church. And it probably took us like five years to not feel guilty. Like, you know, when you finished high school and every Sunday night, you still have that sense of like, oh, what homework haven't I done? <laughs> yeah. Right. And it takes a while for that feeling to go away. If you're like me, it took four or five years to not feel like we were just really bad Christians. And somewhere in there, it was like God said, well, you know, son, uh, I, I called you out here. I wanted you to come out here and meet oh, with wow. me. Yeah. I wanted you to come out here and get to know me. As, apart from all the, the nonsense, apart from all the BS. And, and I mean, I've said this on other podcasts before, but it's like uh, when, when you're in the wilderness, God feeds you from his own hand. Like, I mean, this is the, the Israelite experience. Yep. I mean, somebody said to me the other day, I, sh- I could start saying God feeds you from her own breast. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's really great language. <laughs> wow. And I mean, the Israelites shoes didn't wear out like all this weird stuff that, though, that God sustained them in their wilderness journey, that God actually dwelt among them in their wilderness. And that was totally my experience of deconstruction. And so I was reading books. I was kind of unpacking all my institutional church framework. And then I was um, starting to get more into the Eastern church. As I began to kind of fall in love with Jesus, I was like, the Jesus that I've been taught about by the evangelicals is kind of like a good guy, bad guy scenario. Like, a, <laughs> And, and my, the, the only view of the atonement that I'd been given was a very punitive one. And I was just kind of like, look, if God actually really loves us, and if God loves my humanity, and if God created me and called me good and very good, all these things, I need a more redemptive view of creation. And I, I didn't know that's what I needed at the time. But as I right. began to read some of the church fathers and and get influenced by Eastern, Eastern Orthodoxy, I was like, whoa, some people have been believing wonderful things for thousands <laughs> of years. Okay, what did you find? Because I want to know that. that. That's really fascinating to me. I'll tell you that. One of the best things I found is there's a podcast called Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forget the, the, the priest's name, but he goes through the entirety of church history 
from an Orthodox perspective. And it opened my eyes. He had some of the same criticisms of the Reformation that I did. And I was like, oh, I'm not alone, right? So I had that kind of similar experience. But what was it that you found that was like, that was really kind of eye-opening for you and, and life-giving? You brought up church history. And that was, I think, how I how I got into it too. Because as I got into the Reformation and saw all the good, but also began to see like some of the challenges. And as I I was really drawn in my studies of history to the Anabaptists and the nonviolent stuff. And I was like, this is really interesting. And then I had this friend who had begun to listen to read a lot of the early church fathers. And he was always quoting Origen and Irenaeus and these guys. And I didn't even really know who they were. And I think the thing that stuck out to me was in my evangelical upbringing, God created everything good, but then everything became cursed. And and then it was like there was this plan B and Jesus kind of bailed us out and made us tolerable to God again. And then and then one day all this cursed thing is going to be wiped out and we're going to go to be in heaven. And and that was making less and less sense to me. The more that I was reading because I got back into scripture and the more I, I was like, I don't think that's the narrative that scripture is telling. I don't think that's, I don't think God relates to this world like a curse. I, like None of this makes sense anymore. And as I began to read the writings of Irenaeus and, mm-hmm. and hear some Eastern theologians, they just talked about the world being beautiful. They talked about creation still being good. Yes, wounded. Yes, in need of healing and and restoration, but not cursed or or wretched. And, and that was so refreshing and so like, oh yeah, that's better. And as I began to then um, see that maybe God didn't hate me or that maybe, maybe I wasn't just barely tolerable because of being mm, washed yeah. by the blood of Jesus, but that actually I was always the beloved of God, that I was always the object of God's affection. And of course, I've done wrong. And of course, there are consequences to those actions. But but one of those consequences is not God being eternally disgusted with me, except for Jesus. Right. And, and so that all began to shift. Uh, and so then I kind of and then we actually we moved back to Toronto, and that was part of part of the, sh- the the move. Is we located ourselves back in Toronto. I'm still working for this church, and now we're still kind of going. Okay, what do we do with all this stuff? Because now, I really love God again, and I really love people, but I'm not too sure about these institutional systems. I'm not too sure about these machines. <laughs> right. Um, but I think I got to a point of myself with God where, because also I honestly, I, we, God led me down so many weird paths. One Sunday I said to my wife, I said, I do feel like oh, I want to go to a church today, but I don't want to be given a volunteer sheet. I don't want to be asked for my email address and fill out a connection card. Like, and she said, oh, you need to go to a Catholic church then. I'm like, what? She said, oh yeah, yeah. You can literally sit in there. No one will talk to you. You sit in the back. You just, you do your, your, your kneeling and you're bowing and crossing yourself and you will be done in an hour. And I'm like, I'm used to church being two and a half, three hours long. Oh, I'm like, wow. that's awesome. And so I walked to the Catholic church in my parish and, you know, I didn't even use the word parish right. at that point in my vernacular. And I sat there 
and I felt like a total odd person out because I didn't know how to cross myself and all these things. But I felt this beautiful sense of reverence and of God's presence. And I was just like, ah, so God is here too. God is, ah, because God, God is everywhere, right? <laughs> yes. Right. Ah. You know, and so we ended up drawing from all these different streams. I mean, my, my I ended up baptizing my children Roman Catholic and they go to Catholic school, which happens to be publicly funded here in Ontario. And, and I'm now a children's and discipleship pastor at a small charismatic community church. Wow. <laughs> while, while I write about uh, psychology and, and inner wholeness and, um, and deconstruction. So if there's room for God, then let's just be there. That's fine with me. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's interesting how that took some different paths. I think this is one of the reasons we need to know church history, right? We need to understand where these things come from and how sometimes the things that we cherish as beliefs are actually re cultural reactions to other things that have been Very happening. True. And that's, in, that's, we got to be careful about that because we can easily fall in love with the, with the things that we believe with the doctrines instead of Jesus. And that is so, that's such a travesty, right? That's, that's, that's a And it's a painful deliverance. It is right. To have those idols in our hearts smashed, man, that is a, that's a painful process, which is what this is so funny to me when people accuse me of, you know, preaching heresies and teaching a different gospel and being a progressive Christian, whatever it is that means. And I'm just like, okay, look, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I just take a measure of comfort in all the painful ways my ego has to die each and every day. And where Christ invites me to humble myself and I'm like, okay, fine. If I'm preaching heresies, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a painful humbling road to walk with Jesus. So yeah. Right. Right. And what if that's what it means to, to, you know, take up your cross, right. It's to, it's to let yourself be thought ill of. Yeah, because he did, right? He did that. That was his experience. So, yeah, totally. Oh, fascinating. Okay, well, that's a really interesting, interesting path that that you took to get there. So, how long ago was this when you came back to Toronto? We moved back to Toronto in 2013. We okay. didn't get back involved in church life, but uh, at first, right, we ended up actually at a Baptist church for a couple of months because one of my mentors, you know, was like, "Well, your kids are old enough now that." it might be good for them to be in church um, just, just because th they'll get more exposure to more spiritual matters that I know you hold dear. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. So, you know, he said, find a church you don't hate. So, <laughs> so we just rocked up at this Baptist church that was again in our neighborhood. And so even that localization, I think is a key that, that much of our kind of mega church commuter church yeah. culture lacks. Right. Uh, so yeah, 2013, we ended up back in Toronto and then 20, 16, we moved out of Toronto to this city of Guelph. And it was 2016 that we turned up at this little church that our that we happened to know some people at, and we thought, let's just check it out. And and we were set in that church for about five, 10 minutes when I felt the whisper of the spirit say, put your roots down here. Learn to love these people, take care of their children, spend your life here. And I and I was, you know, I was totally like, get behind me, Satan, where's this voice coming? And I was totally like, nope. Uh, you know, said to my wife what I'd heard. And she was like, yeah, I got a witness. And so we've been 
who've been there ever since. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's good. But well, I love how you're following the spirit where he, where he tells you to be. And I think that's super powerful. Um, I want to talk about your podcast. So did, when did you start that? And and what do you, what do you after? I, just, I think I just saw hundred episodes, right? You just hit hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I just hit hundred uh, earlier in January. I started in 2018 basically because I had a book that I was trying to uh, land with a publisher and the publisher's kind of came back and said to me, well, you know, you've got a good message, but no one who's knows who you are. So come back when you're famous. Uh, so, you know, the, right? advice, you know, at that point, the advice for the, all the bloggers and everybody start a podcast, build a, build a platform, all these things. So I started it and, and that was just horrible. Like uh, it's so much work, right? Like hosting, doing all the work. Yeah, it's, it's Fame tough. and fortune is a terrible motivator. <laughs> And so after, after four, five or six months, I was kind of hitting time out and I was actually on a writing retreat with some friends and we were just checking in how everyone was doing with their journey. And I explained where I was at and they all said to me, Jonathan, you're a good writer, but you're, you're a really good podcaster and, and you're a really good interviewer. And that's a rare skill. Yeah, it is. And, and so we think that you should find the motivation that you need to keep going with that, not to build a platform just because you're actually good at it. And, and I think people's lives are being touched. And so again, that was one of those examples for me where I'm like, I didn't see it until it was landing in someone else's life. Like we were talking about at the very beginning there. And so I said, you know what? I love making new friends. I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories. Let's just do the podcast for that. And wouldn't you know, <laughs> here we are three years later and I'm having the time of my life. Um, I'm, I don't know my total download count because I didn't start stats early enough, uh-huh. but I I've had like, a, I'm rolling, I'm rolling something like 11,000 every 90 days. Nice. So I must be over a hundred. Yep. You're doing, you're doing okay. So the average podcast episode gets a hundred and like 50 downloads, something like that for most podcasters. So if you're doing 11,000 every month or 90 days, three months, every quarter, you're doing probably, you're probably doing pretty well. So that's, that's really Thanks. good. Yeah. yeah. Above I mean, average. It's, it's ended up, um, it's ended up being my spiritual growth. Because, yes. Because I talk to all these people. Right. And my, my poor pastors in my church just cannot compete. Right. Because. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so them. I'm, I'm looking at like your latest episode is when Collier from the life of Eugene Peterson. He wrote that, that book, which I'm totally going to read. I, I got it like the day it came out. I'm going to read it. Eugene Peterson. Come on. Uh, Ian Morgan Cron and you know, all these people. So like you're, you're able to have learned from all these people, right? Isn't that the coolest part of oh, having yeah. a podcast? I mean, it's painful sometimes, right? I mean, I, I, there's an interview coming up in two weeks on my show. I mean, it'll may well have aired by the time this airs uh, with a, with a woman named Tiffany Bloom talking about why we silence women, why we don't believe women when they tell the truth and reading her book was painful and convicting. Yeah. And I've had that experience with many guests mm. where I've been like, you know what, let's just be real. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be honest. You know, this, this interviews where I'm crying, where my guests are crying because we've had a, an encounter. Yeah. You know, people saying, especially I think as white, as men, like, and as white men, I've had guests say to me, you just understood something that most my white men don't understand. Right. That, that most of them don't have ears to hear. You know, and so I th- that that also became part of the motivation for me was to be like, does the world need another white male voice? Maybe, maybe not. But but I can be an example to my white male brethren 
of how to use our power, how to use our platforms to listen, to learn, to change our opinion, um, you know, to be correctable. And, and it's, and I've made some of the best friendships out of it, man. I mean, it's, as, as you know, you end up with contact details of all these incredible people, right? It's you know, insane. And, and sometimes they text me just the other day. Um, you know, I, I get a text from Gary Thomas. Uh, wow. The sacred, the sacred pursuit yes. of these books, sacred marriage, you know, and we've, we've, we interacted a little bit since we did an interview and, and I bumped into him once in Toronto and, and he's like, Jonathan, what do you think about this? You know? And I'm just like, that's just a privilege. That's, Are you that's kidding wonderful. Me? That's fantastic. Wow. So, it's been a fun journey. And and now I am publishing books and my and getting my own books out there. And um turns out like I don't care about the platform anymore. <laughs> yes. You're you're just doing the thing. And I think that's fantastic. So the book the book is You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You. I I suspect that you've told us an awful lot about that book already by telling us your story. But what what um like tell us why you wrote it and kind of what you're hoping people get out of it. Yeah, thanks. I I got to this point a couple of years ago where like, I mean, I'm like I kind of mentioned, I'm an Enneagram too. I'm highly relational. I actually grew up with wonderful parents. I had a really safe upbringing. My parents eventually divorced when I was 18. And, and so there's trauma in there, but. Well, it's probably not coincidental that your deconstruction happened at the same time, I'm guessing. It's a good, I I, I don't think I've ever exactly connected those dots, but you're not wrong. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I had this, I had a similar experience, I could say, about some time, mm. but that's why. So. That, that'll be what I'm pondering this afternoon, Eric. But I got to this point where I'd been, I'd developed these codependent relationships with people, women other than my wife, all these kinds of things. And, and I just felt like I was putting more and more nails into a broken wall of, of just my emotional world. And no one's love was enough for me. And I, I surrounded by amazing friends and community. And I felt like God said to me one day, Jonathan, I have surrounded you with people who love you. The only person who doesn't believe it is you. And the only person who has the authority to teach you that you are loved is you. And so you need to learn to love yourself. You need to learn to own the love that I've given you, the love that I'm showing you, the love that is all around you. Uh, And I didn't really know how to do that. I didn't know what that meant. But all these, you know, these God serendipitous coincidences all came together at once. And I'm following the right people on Instagram. And and I'm hearing people starting to talk about mindful, self-compassionate mindfulness and and I'm starting to get into a little bit of Thomas Merton and, and the contemplative traditions. And, and I've been on a silent retreat. And so I had all these different ingredients coming together. And then I met Ondi Kolber and had her on my show. And she explained trauma and what happens in the body and the brain and how we leave our window of tolerance from traumatic events and all these things. And all of a sudden, it all began to coalesce in my mind and my heart. And I lay down on my couch one day and I said, okay, Holy Spirit, you need to teach me how to love myself. And I put my hand on my heart (laughs) and I said, Jonathan, I love you. And it was crickets (laughs) and it felt very strange and very weird. But over the next three or four months, I just, I set aside this time every day to learn about my emotions, to start listening to my inner world to figure out what God had created in the human psychology 
and how it worked and how to move towards myself in gentleness rather than beating myself up because I was a good evangelical who hated himself, right? I've been taught that the flesh was weak, yes. which meant that my body was evil. And, you know, and so whenever I was weak, I would I would beat myself up. You know, and one day I, I read this quote, that, you know, that said, if, if you made a list of all the things that you love, how long would it take you to name yourself? And wow. I was just like, what are you talking about? And then I heard this story from Dr. Christina Cleveland, who I had had on the show, amazing womanist theologian, and, and, and she'd been in this seminar, and this person had said, think about how you are when someone around you is suffering, and, and they're in pain, and how, how gentle you are with them, and how your body language, your voice, your posture, everything is gentle. And now think about how you are to yourself when you're suffering, when you're in pain, when you've made a mistake. And I was like, I am brutal to myself. I push myself hard. And so began this whole shift, began uh, this whole change in my life. And, and it was so transformative in me, so effective in me that I began to write it down. And I thought, you know what, I bet this could be a, I bet this could be like a devotional, like a 30 day devotional, maybe a little bit more intense than, than your average Monday <laughs> yeah. morning Christian women's devotional. It's not aimed at women, but a lot of my audience have ended up being women. And, and so, yeah, I, I basically I put, put it together, did a bunch more research, put it out there September of last year. And the feedback is just, just absolutely been mind blowing to me the way that people have, um, that God has met them, that God has met them in their pain in their mm. suffering and some of their worst memories and begun to help them move towards themselves in compassion and gentleness and, and given them permission to love themselves the same way God has always loved us. Um, it's, it's just, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm waffling because it's a, it's a marvel no, it's to me. It's a beautiful thing. You know, I'm, so the thing I'm going to be contemplating is this idea of how, um, you know, how you treat yourself, right. And how we're taught to treat ourselves and how like, really you would not tolerate that from anyone else. That's it ever. Right. I would and not would you I, want anyone to treat your children like that. Right. If I, if anybody treated me that way, I would call it abusive. Absolutely. And yet the church has taught me, my family has taught me to treat myself that way. My culture has taught me to treat myself that way. It's abusive. Oh, that's like, that's a big realization, right? That's a big, big deal. And not only is it abusive, and not only were we taught to do it, but we were taught that that was righteousness. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. Wow. And if that's righteousness, and, if, and then if we look at God and say, but mm. God is truly righteous, how can we ever approach him in intimacy? Right, right. If our fundamental understanding is of this right. horribleness. And yet read scripture. I mean, it, like what, once, once you have that shift, once your eyes open to that a little bit and you go and read, this is why I, I talk about this probably too much, but I love the book of Habakkuk because Habakkuk is mad at God and he shows up and he's like, Hey, what gives? And they go back and forth, back and forth. And it ends in worship, but it isn't in trust on Habakkuk's part, but it's because God has been there with him. And this is where we get the righteous will live by faith. That's what it means. I think it's really, really good. Uh, I love it. Okay, Jonathan, people can find you. Your website is what, JonathanPuddle.com? 
That's right. Is that right? And so you can find your book. Guys, I've got links at halfwaytherepodcast.com as well. They can find you are enough. They can find your podcast. You're get you're in the app. Just flip over there. Get get uh, you call it what do you call it? The podcast? Is that what you call the it? The podcast. Yeah, I Jonathan Puddle, right? I figured that was a missed opportunity if I don't uh, <laughs> if I don't call my show the podcast. But I have to say, because you'll appreciate this it sometimes gets screwed up by autocorrect because you type in the podcast and yeah. every app thinks you're just typing podcast wrong. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's hilarious. I love that. Well, super cool. So guys flip over in the app and download that. I, I certainly going to check out the one with Wynn Collier. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him. Maybe, maybe we'll get that, uh, get him on this show, but uh, thanks brother for being here. Anything you want to leave us with? I just, I think, I think what you, what you put your finger on there, right? That we were taught, many of us in the evangelical church, to not think too highly of ourselves, right? We were taught that pride was kind of the worst possible thing, and the only antidote we had for pride was self hatred. But, but that's not, that's not what it's about. When you, when you read the scriptural narrative, what you really see is that pride, the issue with pride, is self righteousness. Self righteousness is the problem of pride not thinking too highly of yourself. And so as long as our righteousness is rooted in Christ, man, there's no end to the goodness that we can discover in God, in ourselves. Uh, it's a wonderful journey. I know it's scary. I know that for some people to make that shift uh, is, a big, is a big change in the foundations. But man, it's worth it. Wow, my friends, that is a little piece of theological gold, but it will change your life. You'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams. Jonathan, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. That was amazing. Thank you, Eric. My pleasure. 